Whether you want to start a faith-based business or an online ministry, you've come to the right place. This is the Teresa Blaze Show with your host, Teresa Blaze, where she's bringing her over 20 years of consulting experience to the mic. Now, here's Teresa. Hi, welcome to the Teresa Blaze Show. I'm Teresa Blaze, and today I've got with me Mr. Tim Morris from designdiscovery.com. And today we are talking about something that I think most people do not necessarily consider, but when you're looking to start a venture, a business or a ministry, it's kind of one of those things that, if overlooked, can be really detrimental. Tim, welcome to the show. Howdy. Thanks for having me. Well, we're glad to have you. Um, Tim and I have known each other for quite a while. We were introduced through a mutual friend who has been on the show, uh, Eric Nevins. And Tim, when I say design discovery, in light of someone who's looking to start an online ministry or online business, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? The first thing I'm always thinking of for somebody that's starting a new venture is how are you uniquely wired or how are you uniquely designed to start that venture? That question goes actually deeper than that, more specifically. Like, for example, how are you uniquely designed to market yourself? How are you uniquely designed to build and offer your services? Who are you uniquely designed to, to serve? What people group are you made for and what people group are you not made for? Those are some of the questions that come to mind immediately uh, when I'm meeting someone that wants to start something. So are we talking about uh, something that I've covered in the past? Are we talking about uh, simply finding your niche? Yeah, that's another way of saying it. This sort of takes it and puts more nuance, a lot more nuance to it than just sort of what's your, what's your differentiating factor. This is getting into you know, how do you do each of your component of your business in a unique way? And really what I'm asking people is how do you do this in a way where you come alive? What are some of the the drawbacks to maybe looking at something in that way? Because a lot of people are just looking at, look, I want to get out of the nine to five grind that I'm in, or, you know, I just feel called to do this. So how would they go about looking into something like that while still keeping food on the table or fulfilling that calling? Like everything, you know, there's a time to, you know, I call it versioning. There's like, you know, since the majority of people that I work with professionally are entrepreneurial, which AKA means apostle in Bible language, what I find is the majority of apostles like to start something at version five. In other words, most apostles have problems with perfectionism and they have problems with being scattered. I know I've typically met an apostle because they have more ideas than they can count and they're big picture ideas. Like, Oh God. I, yeah. That's so me. <laughs> hitting home. Well, yeah, that would, that was me too. That was my story as well. What I'm usually working with people around is dialing back from version five and bringing starting version one. So I literally use that as a, as a baseline test to help people think through like, is the very thing I'm trying to approach overwhelming? If it is, I typically need to dial it back to a simpler version. How would someone come out with a version one if they've got like a bazillion ideas running around up in their brain and they're like, how do I even start with one? 
everybody's different. In general, you know, what I'm helping people do is dial in how God made them first. So, you know, I built a framework to answer all of these questions over the last 10 years. And it that was what drove me was to see how a lot of people are doing things that, you know, generate profit, but I didn't always see people that were alive. They weren't experiencing joy. In other words, people were making money, but they weren't engaging their gifts. So my starting point is always to ask, how can you engage your gifts as much as possible in this season? And the return of that question is enormous because whenever you're engaging your gifts, you're you're going to have a higher return. You're going to have, you know, when you're selling something that's more aligned to the way God made you, people will smell that it's more authentic and they will be more likely to buy from you actually if it's what you were made to sell. I'm helping people answer those questions, but so but my first question is let's start with, you know, what's available, what's in front of you, what what opportunities has God given to you and which of these align most to the way God made you? There is wisdom in having some cash to work with to have a little bit of margin and padding in your life as you're really dialing in how God made you, but I will say that entrepreneurial folk, me included, we are designed to take risks. This journey of engaging our gifts also assumes that we're learning to hear God's voice. I can't tell you how many stories I have of people who, through their business, heard the Lord speak so many times about this or that strategy, or the Lord actually coached them. And some of them crushed it because they listened to what God said. And some of them, I've, I've met people that said, I didn't do what God told me to do. And I, I saw the result of it. Let's kind of press into that because that's not something that is talked about. You hear a lot of leadership and you hear uh, faith-based companies and this and that, but you don't really hear about people talking about listening to God's voice in the midst of your company or having him coach you on this or that strategy. I don't, think people really think about that. The good news is the church is moving more towards a model of believing that God speaks. I mean, I I went to seminary and graduated in 2009, and I went to a seminary that had conservative Baptist roots, which ended up, when I was there, it looked more like just, not. it was non-denominational, basically. I don't think I had one professor in my entire school that would tell you that God doesn't speak today. I would say in the last, oh, probably the last 15, 20 years, there's been a seismic shift going on under the radar about prophetic, about the prophetic gifting that the church is actually opening up considerably. Now, of course, there's pockets of people that still don't believe that, but it's actually, to me, becoming the exception now to, to meet people like that. Let me ask you this. Can you give an example in your own life where God has spoken to you and told you to actually do something within your company? that has actually paid off? And then maybe an example where you didn't listen. As far as the not doing things. So I know that I am called to work with people that are open to hearing about their heart. Uh, I mean, what I'm doing with people is helping them understand the philosophy and theology of a heart centric view of themselves that as a having a Jesus, having a Jewish worldview, put the heart at the center. And so that I've spent a ton of time understanding the complex nuances of the heart from a Jewish angle. That's my thing, if you will. Now, I have met with people who I would sit with them, and I've had individual coaching meetings with people where I sat with them, and my gut was telling me, mm, this guy's not into the heart. 
and I pushed through it for the paycheck. And in the end, I wasted a ton of time because in the end, they didn't commit. In the end, they didn't buy. So I've had a lot of situations like that where like the people I know I'm supposed to serve, I'm trying to make an offer that is to people that don't like, in other words, I'm trying to compromise and I'm trying to to play a professional nicey nice game where my marketing language sounds nice. Um, I've done workshops where nobody signed up or I had one sign up and I had to shut it down. And I have learned over time, like I was playing, I was playing nice. I was playing small. So that I, I've seen that all over the place where I, when I play nice or I, I try to serve a people group that aren't my people group. So that's one. When you have actually served people that are, as you put it, more heart centric. Have you had a moment where you're in a coaching session, for example, and you've actually heard God speak to you in relation to that circumstance? Oh yeah. It happens almost every day. Um, now God speaks in content form. Like, you know, I tell people the, the big joke or, <laughs> or a, a, a funny way to look at this is like God speaks English. He speaks in our mind, in our thoughts. That's one of the way he speaks. He can speak audibly. I know that. Um, but he speaks a lot through my mind and I will hear him say something. I, I, I have, I'll give you one example that was a little more intuitive. So I, I was at a conference and I had just done a seminar the day before and I was there as a participant of the conference after that seminar. I was sitting there next to this person who's Australian. And for some reason, me and the Australians, we connect. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm sitting the there. Could be. I I could yeah, you never know. <laughs> but my accents are terrible. I can't my wife makes fun of me. I have the worst. My Australian will sound British and or not even British, it'll sound like West Virginian British. It's very confusing. So um I'm sitting next to this woman and I all of a sudden sense this pool. It's almost like a magnet was pulling me that I was supposed to meet with her. And and so I'm sitting here playing the game that we do with God, or I'm going, God no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to talk to this. And I sensed very strongly that this wasn't just, I want you to meet her. It was, I sensed very strongly. I was actually supposed to offer what I do to this woman, even before I really know her. So she had been in on another seminar that I sat in on, but I didn't really talk with her much at all. I just sort of sat across the table and smiled at her. At this point, we're at the conference, we're at the big general assembly meeting. And, but I sense it while at, towards the end of this, you know, everybody's in this big room and we're all in a big circle. And I sense it and I'm like, okay, Lord. So I start playing the games with the Lord. I'm like, all right, Lord, if you can bring everyone out of the room, then, and just me and her, then I'll talk to her. (laughs) And God's like, good. This is good, Tim. You're setting me up. So, so lo and behold, the group empties out and she just sits there next to me. I sit there and I'm like, oh man. And I I'm sitting there like, oh, this is uncomfortable. So finally I muster up the courage and I say, look, I have a feeling that I'm supposed to meet with you and talk with you about what I do for some reason. And she knew a little bit about what I did at that point. Cause some people had stood up and shared testimonies from previous experience randomly earlier in the conference the day or two before, but didn't know anything beyond what that meant. So she goes, Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. This is Australian by the way. Um, yeah. I'd love to meet with you. And I'm like, really? And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we get back in our country, how about you call me or you, you Zoom me and then, yeah, we'll meet. Yeah. And I'm like, all right. She followed through. So she got back in the country a couple of weeks later and we had a Zoom call and I told her about my high ticket pr- process that helps people dial all this stuff in. And she signed up on the call. First call. 
she goes, Tim, Tim, uh, my husband, I think he might be a fit for this too. And I'm like, what? Like, and he was at the conference, but I actually didn't talk with him at all. And so last February, they flew me out to Australia and I did a couples intensive with both of them. It paid me well, obviously, but I literally almost completely missed that opportunity. And I knew this wasn't just me just feeling, I knew that was like, there was a supernatural nudge behind that nudge when I was sitting in that chair going, God, I don't want to do this. This is great. So I've had stuff like this start to happen where I feel like God's nudging my heart and just really like pulling me. And, you know, and sometimes he'll talk more bluntly. Like I'll ask Jesus, what do you want me to do? And he'll go, what are you seeing right now, Tim? And I'll go, well, they seem to be pretty interested in entrepreneurial stuff. And I might be in a coffee shop and he might say, what are you, how do you, how do you know that they are interested? And I'll be like, well, they're, they seem to be reading a book that entrepreneurs read. <laughs> and then I'll hear God go, well, then what do you think you should do about it? So he'll like almost coach me. Lo and behold, I talk to him and it's common. They become my client. So this has actually become somewhat common for me that when I feel a nudge, when I'm in a coffee shop and I'll ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? And he often doesn't tell me what to do. He asks me questions. But that one from Australia, I mean, Literally, if I would have just packed my bag up and said, well, at the end of that session, I'm not going to meet with that woman. That felt weird. I would have, I went to Australia. I mean, that was crazy. That was incredibly fun. And while I'm in Australia, I'm like, I almost missed this by a breath. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, it reminds me of uh, an experience that I had just recently where kind of a similar thing. I was listening to a podcast and this one teacher came on and he was doing a conference out in Hickory, North Carolina. And the Lord just literally tapped me on the shoulder and went, you are going there. And I went, right. Hey Lord, there's this thing called money. You made newsflash. We kind of need it down here. Um, you know, and I thought, no, that's not going to happen. He's not going to, yeah, I put him to the test and all of a sudden I'm there. And because I was there, I met some very influential people in one of the spaces that I work. And now, <laughs> you know, I mean, just things have happened and I'm getting some interviews set up and that kind of thing for the ministry side of things that I do. But that never would have happened had I not listened to God when he tapped me on the shoulder more than once and said, you are going to this conference. Yeah, totally. And you know, Teresa, here's something that I've observed. I just was thinking about this yesterday, literally, that there is a fear that, especially as entrepreneurial people, you know, I tell people like apostles are the highest risk takers out of the fivefold in Ephesians 4. And typically because apostles, entrepreneurs are the secular version of an apostle on an underlying gift level. What happens is what I watch is there are, there's a lot of fear floating around in the air that if I were to leave my corporate job or I'm going to leave my place of safety and go start the thing that God has put on my heart, go, go execute the dream that's in me, I'm going to turn into this story that's just going to be horrifying and everything's going to you know, <laughs> come to a grinding halt because you know, I took a risk. I'm finding that the carnage isn't as common as people think. What I've noticed is typically in almost every story, not everyone, but in, all, in many of them, somewhere along the lines, that person gave up hope and stopped acting in courage. But they didn't hang it. It's hard. I mean, owning a business, I tell you, is one of the hardest things you will ever do, as you know. Like it asks everything from you. I mean, you have to become a servant or you won't. You're either a manipulator or you're a servant. You, you don't have much options. <laughs> 
Um, and you don't want to be a manipulator. I actually did a podcast on this, and I think this this quote really applies here. Um, Bruce Arians, who is a former Arizona Cardinals coach, uh, he used to he used to be known, and I think he still is uh, known for this one phrase. Um, and it, it applied to the football field because he would take shots down the field. He had no business taking, no risk it, no biscuit. And that that was like when I heard that, I'm like I. You know, that so fit me. And so I started doing shows on it and writing about it and that kind of thing. Because I'm like, well, dang it, why not? You know, but at the same time, you are so right. When it, when you talk about the fear, there are certain things that God has called me to do. And I'm like, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> you know, the, you know, and, and, and you know fear is not a God, but it's still you let it eat your lunch. You know, the word risk, you know, I, the guy that mentored me would say faith is spelled R-I-S-K. For followers of Jesus that are apostolic and have a, a calling to start things. So apostles typically, they, you know, based on what I understand, apostles start either businesses, nonprofits, or churches. There's three different spheres they go in and out of. And, all, and every apostle is different. There are some apostles that start all three. There are some that start two. There's some that just start one but they're all pushing the boundaries of the kingdom further out, which is the job of the apostle. A lot of people associate apostle with church planner, and it, it's much bigger than that. It's pushing the boundaries of the kingdom out, which is why a business can do that. If you're starting a business, there is nothing that's a higher risk than doing that. I mean, you're starting something that's never been done before. This is not easy stuff. What I have noticed is sometimes people give up pretty early. And it's common when I'm coaching an uh, entrepreneurial or Christians, apostolic types, it's common that the mentality that they have when, when they start, and this is me as well, is if I try something and it doesn't work, I'm a failure. Fear is just for failure. Yeah, actually, it's quite the opposite. The best entrepreneurs of all time expect you to fail. I mean, I the guy that coached, the guy that trained me in coaching, basically, at one point, he had mentioned that there were these angel investors. There's this group of angel investors, and they supposedly will not invest in any entrepreneur that cannot tell them stories of failing two times in their life. They expect it. Um, you know, there's a quote from T.S. Eliot that I saw recently that I really like, and I just pulled it up. Um, it says, only those who will risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go. And I find that that's actually what God's calling apostles to do. Because, you know, apostle in Greek means to be sent. And so you're being sent into territory that's never been treaded on. It's, you know, the, another word for apostles to be a pioneer. So if you are going to start a business, you're a pioneer. Even if you're starting a franchise, you're a pioneer of that franchise in that specific territory. And so if you can't handle risk, you're not going to last. Um, it will eat you alive. And so that's the thing I'm constantly asking people is if you're going to start something, you, you want to find out whether you're gifted as an apostle. Like it's crucial. Yeah. What, what about someone who may not be so much gifted as an apostle, but maybe they have the other giftings, prophet, evangelist, teacher, pastor, all that. So they've got these other giftings. Um, are they disqualified because they don't have this apostle? The five gifts in Ephesians 4 are sometimes called APEST for an acronym for the five gifts or fivefold. I built a fivefold test. And what I have watched, so I have about 450 to 500 people taking it every month. So I get to see a lot of people's results. The crazy thing is that we all have all of the gifts, actually. 
The question is, where do we have concentrations of those five gifts? So apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. So if you have a really low, low, low amount of apostle, what that actually means is you don't have a lot of motivation to start movements, to start things. So the first question I'm going to ask someone that might want to start something that doesn't have much apostle is what do you want to do? That's the first question I'm going to ask. People that score very high in profits and can connect that that's their gift. Professionally, they can crush it as coaches professionally. There's a lot of different options you can take in all the five gifts, but I, I would say that's a commonality because I'm, I'm going to be hiring profits uh, going forward as I'm training people in the system I have. And I can tell you, I'm looking for profits when I'm doing it. Um, as I'm going to be training. So the, the two people on my team right now are prophets because they crush it. Like they just, you know, they're intuitive. They ask hard questions. They say the thing no one else will say. <laughs> Some prophets can start a coaching business. And if they do, my question is going to be what apostle is in your life to help you on the big picture vision? Because that's what apostles do. They're big picture visionaries. You want someone in your life that has that role, but Typically, a prophet is not going to be, they're going to be doing like a freelance solopreneur kind of thing. Um, but I know some people that are prophets that they tried starting something and they petered out because it became too overwhelming. Their gift set wasn't made for it. Interesting. Now, there are those, I know there are those that, that, that score high in both apostle and prophet. So, what do you do with that person? There's a lot. Well, it depends on the person. So if someone is high apostle prophet, it's actually a kind of apostle that some people would call, uh, there's some other people I would agree, they would call that person a reformer apostle, which means their job is to go into a situation and reform it and create something new with what's already existing. How many times have I seen people that I meet that are not operating in uh, their giftings? Or they are just, oh, I'm too afraid to do this. Or, you know, because I mean, I, you know, Mike and I, we run a uh, media publishing company. And so our goal is to get people to podcast or, or publish in, in some platform or other. Okay. But a lot of times what I'm running into is people are afraid. I mean, they are petrified. It is almost, I don't like my voice. I can't write. I can't do this. Okay. What medium do you like to consume? Well, I like to consume podcasts. Podcasts. Then you're a podcaster. I found something that's sort of like a a backdoor trick into dealing with fear. Okay. Um, in general, I am totally supportive of therapy counseling. I went to a counselor for several years, and it was very helpful and therapeutic for me. But I have found that typically, when people feel fear their first inclination is often to think if they're going to get help, they need to go to a counselor. And in many cases, that's helpful. But I have found that there are other ways of handling fear. What's common that when I'm helping people dial in their God-given design, something has happened that I wasn't expecting. And quite honestly, I was shy about it because I'm a professional coach and coaches can't, you can't posture yourself as a, as a therapist. <laughs> like, cause I'm not licensed for that. And nor do I want to be, that's not my calling. But I kept having people that were going through the process and telling me, oh my goodness, I'm experiencing healing. And I'm like, shh, don't say that out loud. Like, and they're like, well, too bad, Tim, because that's what I'm experiencing. And I'm like, all right, well, whatever. Um, <laughs> no, they're very, very awesome people that were very bold with me. What I started realizing was, uh, so I started working on a different definition of courage. Courage and risk, you know, same, they're, they're best friends. They're pretty much twins, right? I started to define courage. Courage is action 
in the midst of healthy fear plus joy. What happens is, and I see this in my coaching all the time. People come to me and say, I want to do this, but I'm, I can't do it. I'm overwhelmed. I'm exhausted. And I typically will ask them right on the spot, how much joy do you feel about this task in a scale of zero to 10? Meaning how excited, how much motivation, how much life are you perceiving right now about that task? And usually they're like four, five, nothing crazy high. So here's a little, here's a little snippet of something I've learned in my life. If I scale something at seven or below when it comes to how excited or how motivated I am to do it, I am almost always likely to not do it. What happens is it's common that people try to push themselves through. Like they, They're like, I'm going to do this, and they call it discipline. So they say, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pick myself up on my bootstraps and just do this thing. Well, what's happening is they're actually moving against their God-given design against the way God made them to move when they're fully alive, when they feel motivation. So people, in other words, they're feeling what I would call an unhealthy amount of fear. So when you feel unhealthy fear, it literally cripples you. It stops you from moving forward. No matter how much you feel like you should do it, if you have unhealthy fear, you ain't moving forward. And unless there's a crisis, it's not going to happen. The only question I would have with that is that fear is typically of the enemy's camp. So there is, yeah. So there are two kinds of fear in the New Testament, actually. There's one fear called Delia, which is where you get 2 Timothy 1.7, which says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. That's Sound mind is a better Greek translation. The Greek word there's Delia, which literally it means cringing cowardice. So I think the best picture of the fear used in that scripture is like a child curled up into a ball, terrified. So they're crippled. So that's what that word means. The other word is phobos, which means basically that's where we get that idea of reverence, that there's a healthy fear of God. That means that you have reverence, you have humility towards whatever your, you know, the object is. As an entrepreneur, if you don't feel a healthy level of fear towards what you're, you're about to do, you're going to have what we call cockiness and you're going to lose. Right. And pride always comes before a fall. So yeah, they're, yeah. Wow. Wow. So you want healthy fear. Healthy fear actually catapults you forward and healthy fear keeps you humble. So it, it reminds you that you need Jesus or this thing could fall apart. And, but here's the trick though. What I, what I was trapped doing is at times I would try to identify what is the fear that's trapping me. That's, you know, stopping me from moving forward. And sometimes that works. And you know, there's, that's when there's a time and a place to, to actually get the help from a therapist. But what I've noticed is that often there's a different way to handle this. So the back door is this. I will ask you know, the question, what would make this task more enjoyable? So if I scaled it at a five out of 10, what would crank it up to an eight or nine? So I'm basically looking at my own design and I'm trying to apply this situation to my own design language, to what I know about myself. What happens is without fail, when people turn up the joy it turns the fear down to a more healthy place automatically. And all of a sudden, I see people on a call. They're like, oh, I'm so stoked. I'm moving forward. I meet with them on the next call. They crushed it. They did the activity because they found their gift. And it wasn't just about trying to alleviate fear. It was about trying to turn joy up, their motivation, their gifts. You know, full disclosure, guys, I've worked with Tim in the past. And he has helped me identify where my sweet spot is that I don't know that I'd still be podcasting if it weren't for him. When you get, for me, when I get behind the mic, 
I am lit up and I know what I'm doing and I know what I'm called to. And I think there are, there are a lot of the listeners out there that they're going, I want to be lit up. I want that passion. So, you know, I, I just, man, I, I know that we could keep going. I know that there's so many things we could probably touch on, but I guess what we'll do is this. Um, we'll have to bring you back, Tim, as you're doing, because I know you're doing a lot of cool things. We'll just have to bring you back. Maybe, you know, maybe in a couple of months and kind of give you an update. Get, you give an update as to what's going on with you. And we'll just continue talking into this because there's so many places that we could touch into that I think people really need to hear. If I can leave your audience everybody out there with the thing that my heart is passionate about that I can give you is it's to, to continually go back to that question. How can I approach whatever I'm doing through the lens of joy, through my gifts, whether it's every, cause business is crazy and there's a lot of advice floating around. There's so many books you could read. There's so many voices you have to sift through in the end. If you're not engaging your own voice and if you're not engaging the way God made you, you're cre- it's creating a really difficult system to be in and you're going to want to get out of it rather than stay in it for the long haul. I, I, I think um, we'll just ask this, where can people find you if they're interested in, in connecting with you and learning more? Yeah. So they can go to designdiscovery.com. Um, so I do have my free test, fivefold test. that will actually show you what percentage my test measures you with apostle and there's a lot of interesting phenomenon about apostles. Uh, like, for example, one quick thing to share, and then I'll, I'll shut up, is, uh, you know, if you score, if you take the test and you're like, I really have a desire to start a business organization, church, those kinds of things. But why did I score high on the other ones outside of apostle? That's actually a sign that you're an apostle. Because uh, apostles are usually generally gifted. You know, there's a guy that I respect who says they're the most confused of them all. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. Yeah. So if you fall into that camp, um, it's totally normal. Uh, but you can take the test. You can find me on the website. You can go into my form. Um, I've got Twitter and stuff like that up, but I'm I'm more, you'll, you'll connect with me better on my website. And I blog posts and things like that. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, Tim, we're going to have to just have you back. That's all there is to it. <laughs> Sounds great. This was a joy. This is, this is, yeah, this is what I love. And guys, I brought him on because I knew that he had he brought something that is so crucial to what every single person is doing. You have to operate the way God created you to operate. And for each person, it's different, but it's also very crucial. So with that, Tim, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having mm-hmm. me. It was my honor. Not a problem. Uh, I'm Teresa Blaze. This has been the Teresa Blaze Show. Let's go do this thing. You've been listening to The Teresa Blaze Show. To catch all her past shows, visit www.teresablaze.com. That's T-E-R-E-S-A-B-L-A-E-S.com.